Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for these words. We thank you for the prayer of the apostle, uh, his thanksgiving. Uh, we pray, O oh Lord, that you would uh, use this portion of your word, that you would teach us. You are the teacher. Holy Spirit, you have been given to us. You are the paracletus, the one who comes alongside. We pray that you would teach us from this, that these words would not just be forgotten as we walk out the door, but they would be implanted into our hearts, that we would meditate on these things this week, and that we would put them into practice as these are uh, responses to you and to your great works. And so we ask the Lord for your the work of your spirit, truly sow the seed of word in our hearts, and we pray for a hundredfold fruit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, did your mother teach you to say thank you? We talked about this before. Did your mother teach you to write thank you notes? when someone gives you something. How do we express our thankfulness? How do we express? Do you do that with one another? Do you ever express your appreciation for your kids, to your kids? Do you ever express appreciation for your mother on other than Mother's Day? Or your father on other than Father's Day? How often? How often do you say thank you? Or... You know, I really appreciate you. Is that important? It is very important. Here's the question, though. How often do you express appreciation to God? How often do you say, thank you, God? Is that a daily occurrence? We jokingly, as we're getting older now, say, someone asks me, how are you doing? I'm vertical. Thank you, God, for that I can stand, and that I can walk, and I can get around. You young people, that's not a clue. You don't have a clue yet. Unless you've had a serious accident where you can't stand or something, then you know what I'm talking about. How often do you say thank you to God? I hope it is every day. When you rise in the morning or, and when you uh, lay down at night. How often do you say thank you to fellow members of the, of the church or of your family? Is that, is, is that part of your identity? That's the, really the question. Are you a Jew? Now, what do you mean by what do I mean by that? Well, the 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 word Jew is uh, it, it, the word itself means praise. Okay. To be a Jew is to be someone who is praising God, who is thankful to God and thankful to others. Is is the cup half empty or half full? Right? How you look at things? Are you thankful? That's what we find in our text today is the response to the grace of God, which is verses 3 through 14 that we've looked at for the past three weeks, is now, how do I, what do I do with it? What do I do with an understanding of who God is and what he's done? Well, Paul then goes into an, and both explains how to respond to it, and also he emulates it. He actually does it. He explains what he does. And so I think we can learn uh, from his example as well as his teaching. And so we are called to show appreciation, to value others, especially God. That's what praise is all about. So my main point is in the bulletin. How should you respond to the wonderful blessings which God has lavished upon you? 
The Apostle Paul encourages us to trust, to thank, and to talk to the triune God as well as to show love and concern for those that he loves. Furthermore, from Paul's example, we learn how to pray for ourselves and for others. And so, as I said before, this letter is a letter of grace. It is the fruit of a heart of thankfulness to God and thankfulness for those whom he is writing to, which includes you and I. And so let us consider our text. Uh, first of all, in verse 15, if you will uh, back, go back there, notice he says, therefore, Why is, what does the word therefore mean? Why is it therefore? What is he saying? Based on what I've just been saying, therefore, because of verses 1 through 13, 1 through 14, Therefore, because of all this, now we're going to move on. So we're going to be looking at faith in the Lord Jesus and love for all the saints. Therefore, because of what each person of the Trinity has done, is doing, and will do in the future, even into eternity, what are we to do? After I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you making mention of you in my prayers. After I heard and continued to hear of your faith in the Lord Jesus. Remember, at the time, who was declared as Lord in the civil government? It was Caesar. In order to be a good Roman citizen, you had to say, Caesar's Lord. Not Jesus, Caesar. What does Paul say in Romans? He who confesses that Jesus is Lord and believes in his heart that God raised him from the dead shall be saved. Not Caesar. Caesar doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. Who's Lord, Caesar or Jesus? That's really the challenge for these believers here in Ephesus and throughout the world and even today. Does the civil magistrate want you to bow to them as the ultimate source of knowledge and help and hope? Does man take upon himself the lordship? Do we, by exercising and focusing on my will, are we replacing God? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And now here, Paul is saying, yes, I've ministered among you. I have seen your faith, and I hear of your faith that you're hanging, hanging in there. And your love for all the saints. After I have heard of your love of all the saints, and is that important? Is the evidence of your faith love for the brethren? Is it? Do you love those whom God loves? Well, sometimes they are 
like a porcupine, right? And sometimes it's hugging the porcupine is loving your neighbor, especially those who are saints. Well, they're not acting very saintly right now. They're grumbling and complaining or whatever. Are we called to only love those who are doing saintly kind of things? Or are we called to love our brothers and sisters when their porcupines are stuck in us? Right? I jokingly refer to the ministry as hugging the porcupine. Um, but isn't that our calling? We're called to love the saints. And they're not all sanctified yet. They're, not, they're still going through the process, right? And Paul is very aware of this. He actually will be correcting these saints concerning areas of sanctification that we have and we need. After I heard of your love, I rejoiced. I gave thanks. What's the point? What's the point here? What you believe shapes how you act. So what do you believe? Look at your actions. Does your actions reflect on what you believe? Right? Do you ever evaluate yourself? What are my actions this week? What are my actions today? How does that reflect what I believe? What you believe impacts what you do. What you do reflects what you believe. Very simple point, but it is profound. Ideas have consequences. Calvin, uh, in his uh, commentary, said it this way, talking about love, love for the saints. Love ought to be embraced, uh, love ought to embrace all men. But here the saints are particularly mentioned because love, when properly regulated, begins with them, and is afterwards extended to others. If our love must have a view to God, the nearer any man approaches to God, the stronger, unquestionably, must be his claim to our love. Did you get what that said? He said, if we love God, and someone else loves God and is pursuing God, should we love them? Should our love be towards those who love God? Primarily, first of all, and the answer is yes. But then it extends to all mankind. Is that true? Do we love our brothers and sisters in Christ above all else after God? Well, I don't know. My brother, my sister in Christ offended me, and I can't forgive them. Well, there's a problem. We're called to love the saints because God loves them. Second point, constant thanksgiving and prayer for others. Again, we mentioned the other day in a book that was stated, a statement, love is not an emotion, it is a way of behaving. It is a commitment to act the right way. Do the emotions come... Yes, they do. Loving feelings do come. But that's not, the, the love is not first an emotion. Like I said before, I remember hearing uh, some uh, young couple that wanted to make their own vows for their wedding. And their, the vow basically said, I will love you as long as uh, love, the loving feelings continue. It basically what they said. 
And my thought was, well, that's not going to last very long, is it? That marriage is doomed to fail if love is the feeling, right? Love is a commitment. Love is an acting. Love is doing. It's an action. And so here we see the love of God in, in Paul and our call to love one another. Look at his action. Look at verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Notice that. What is he saying? I do not cease to give thanks for you. He's absent from them, whether he's absent or whether he's present. He was thankful for them. How about you? How about Are we thankful for the people that aren't here today? Are we thankful for the people that we don't even know? We hear about brothers and sisters in faraway countries who are being persecuted for the name of Christ. Are we thankful for their witness? Do we pray for them? Notice he says, I do not cease to give thanks. Now, is this the only group of people that Paul was thankful for? And the answer is no. All you have to do is continue on through the Bible. You go to Philippians, the letter he writes to them. He says in verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine making mention, or making request for you, with all joy. What about the Colossians? Colossians 1, 3. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. What about the Thessalonians? Again, 1 Thessalonians 1, 2. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. What about his second letter? We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. Paul was a thankful man. Are you a thankful man, thankful woman? Does that come into play in your life? Notice his thankfulness, first and foremost, is expressed to God. He says, I am thankful for you, making mention of you all in my prayers. Do you pray for one another? Do you thank God for each other in your prayers? Thank you, God, for giving me this wife, this husband, this child, this friend, this coworker. That's a jerk. Um, are we thankful? Are we thankful for the abilities that we take for granted? How about the ability to breathe in? <gasps> Is that a gift from God? Are you say, do you ever say thank you, God, for that breath I just took? Wait till you're underwater like I was and couldn't breathe. I almost died when I came to the surface. I was thanking God for that breath. Does God have to take away your breath in order for you to be appreciative of your breath? I hope not. What is the best, okay, what's the summary here? What's the best response that you can do to the grace of God? And according to our catechism, has a great answer, and that is prayer. Talk to him. Thank you. Is that an answer? Yeah, that's prayer. Question 86, 
How are we to be thankful, or how do we re- express our appreciation for what God has done? I'll quote it here. Since then, we are redeemed from our misery by grace through Christ without any merit of ours. Why must we do good works? Because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, also renews us by his Holy Spirit after his own image, that with our whole life we show ourselves thankful to God for his blessing. See that? With our whole life we show ourselves thankful to God for his blessing. And that he be glorified through us, then also that we ourselves may be assured of our faith by the fruits thereof, and by our godly walk win also others to Christ. So there's a full four, fourfold way of expressing thankfulness. And the first is what? Show ourselves thankful to God for his blessing. Thank you, God, for another day. Thank you, God, for grace. Thank you, God, for redemption. Thank you, God, and you could go on and on and on, spend hours thanking God. How many seconds do you do that each day? What is the best way to uh, express it? Again, the Catechism, question 116, it says uh, that prayer is the chief way that we can say thank you. Say thank you. Is that prayer? Yeah. Eternal life, according to Jesus, is knowing God. So how is your relationship with God? Do you listen to him speak through his word? Do you speak to him his word? Is there a conversation going on in your life? Is Are you a, a person of prayer and of praise? Third point, verse 17, we see the content of Paul's prayer of thanksgiving. That... He's talking about his thanksgiving, his prayer. This is what he prayed, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the, your, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power. And so there he says his purpose. What does he want for you and for me? Well, notice, first of all, he he directs his prayer to God the Father. Notice what he prays. He basically prays for the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of wisdom in Revelation, that the eyes of your soul, your heart, may be enlightened. So we pray. He prays that, that God the Father would send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit would open your heart, would grant unto you both knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Knowledge, understanding of how things work, and wisdom, how to put these things into practice. Or in other words, adequate knowledge, proper appreciation, proper understanding, and wisdom or skill to apply it to life. But did you notice here in our text, 
He calls God the Father of glory. The splendor of his divine presence and power. We don't really see where we are at. We don't see with our eyes the glory of God as it's revealed clearly. If God were to peel away, as it were, the covering, the veil, and we were to behold reality in the presence of God, which is where we are right now, we would all be on the ground, facing the ground. We would be overwhelmed. God, in his mercy, (laughs) veils it. He's the father of glory. Just think of Moses. When Moses saw the trailing edges of his glory, and what was the impact? Nobody could look at his face. He had to to cover it because it was so brilliant, so bright. God is the father of glory. He is uh, splendorous in all his presence and his power, his ability. Again, what what does Paul ask? For the spirit of wisdom and revelation. He's praying for the Holy Spirit to open your eyes, to open your heart, to receive the things, that you might be enlightened. Notice what he says, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Not only the general call that goes out to all men, but the effectual call including regeneration. That produces hope. Are we hopeful or do we have hope? We have hope, which leads to hopefulness, just like we have love that leads to loving feelings. So same with hope. The hope is Jesus Christ. He is our hope. Notice also he prays that you may properly appreciate, that is, know, The riches of the glory of his inheritance. Do you know that you have an inheritance? Well, Paul earlier spoke of that inheritance. Verse 11. In him we all, we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. We have an inheritance. We have a gift. We have many gifts. We are blessed. He's the blessed God who blesses us. Do you know that you have blessings, both now and forever? The greatest is relationship with him. What should it do to us? If I really know that I have an inheritance, I'm seated in heavenly places in Christ, and I have all these things, should that encourage me as I go through the difficulties of life? Yeah. How long is this life compared to eternity? And that was too long. Right? This life is a blip. Eternity. He's talking about the inheritance, the eternal inheritance we have in Christ. Should this encourage us? Yes. And notice it's in the saints. That inheritance is ours, not mine. Do you understand that difference? As part of the people of God, as the church of Jesus Christ, we have an inheritance in the heavens, in Christ. And notice he says that we may 
properly understand his power. Paul goes out of his way to try to describe the power of God by using four synonyms. He refers to it as, as his power, as his working, as his mighty working, as his power, a different word, power, the fruit thereof. God is working, God is working, God is working, God is working. Okay? Remember what I said earlier at the very beginning about in the, in the time that people thought about gods in relation to what they did? Paul is hammering the point. God is God. How do you know he's? Because he's working, he's working, he's working, he's working. Right? We live in a society and a culture today that says God is irrelevant. If there is a God, he's far away. He's watching from a distance. Do you ever remember that song many years ago? Drove me crazy. God is watching, watching, watching from a distance. He's irrelevant. He's irrelevant to reality today. Is that, is that our culture? God, God, if he exists, is irrelevant. We live in a closed system. He doesn't interfere, if he exists at all. Naturalism, right? Is that what the Bible teaches? Does God interpose himself in all creation? Paul writes in Colossians, in Jesus, all things are held together. Every atom in the universe is held together by Jesus Christ personally. If it wasn't for him, poof, there would be nothing. So that you may know, properly understand what you already have experienced, knowing his power, as he says, that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened. And like he said, the power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. There's four. Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. The power of God, the purpose of God, are both found here in our text. And so in conclusion, actually I want to steal from somebody else. I'll give you a couple little statements here. Hodge says, the prayer recorded in these verses is very comprehensive one. In praying that the Ephesians and us might be enlightened with spiritual recognition of the truth, the apostle prays for their sanctification. In praying that they might have adequate ideas of the inheritance to which they were called, he prayed that they might be lifted above the world. And in praying that they might know the exceeding greatness of the power exercised in their conversion, he prayed that they might be simultaneously humble and confident. They should be humble in view of the death of, of sin from which they have been raised and confident in the view of the omnipotence of the God who has begun their salvation. I don't know if you caught all that. Enlightened to the truth of sanctification. Having, and this is the one that I thought was very important that they might be lifted above the world. You understand that? One of the reasons why we come to church is to have our minds lifted above the world, to be reminded of reality, 
as we're in this world, this false world of sin, and deception, and warfare. That our minds would be lifted above so that we would be heavenly minded in order to be earthly good. And then finally, he prayed that they might be simultaneously humble and confident. Humbled because of what God has done for us, confident in what God who's begun it, a good work, will finish it. And so I, t- I uh, present to you this portion of God's word. I pray that you would take seriously what Paul took seriously, that is, what God has done and how we're to respond. What was the response? Prayer, praise, thankfulness, putting into practice what he's taught. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we do come to you, and we thank you, Lord, for the prayers of the apostle, for the Ephesians, and throughout time, for the saints, including us, the redeemed of the Lord. We thank you for revealing to us, Father, your eternal love before creation, your choosing of us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, in dying on the cross 2,000 years ago for our sins in particular, and granting unto us the inheritance We thank you, Holy Spirit, for the work of applying Christ constantly to our lives and for your presence with us. We pray that you would enable us to truly rejoice in what we have and part of that rejoicing in loving those who rejoice in these things, even the saints, and that it would expand beyond the church even into the world, that others who know you not would be coming to faith in Christ and rejoice in your grace. And so we ask, O Lord, for your blessing. Enable us, equip us, give us that knowledge, wisdom, and understanding that we may be able to glorify you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.